Oh, nothing could go wrong with this plan. Yeah, I don't want to be a clickbait title, but what happens next will shock no one and everyone. What do you get when you combine Cinderella, Game of Thrones, and Vasilisa the Fair? Welcome to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your hosts Fox and Sparrow, where we will circumvent death itself just to bring you this story. Today, we are covering a Chinese Cinderella story, attributed to Lin Lan in 1933. The original name of this story is Sanko Yuan Wang, or Three Wishes. The concept of Lin Lan is wildly unknown in the Western world, but a book by folklore professor Yuan Yang seeks to reconcile the idea of Lin Lan with the title of Brothers Grimm of modern China. The 1930s specifically was when many of the Lin Lan folklore collections were being spread across China, but the identity of these editors was never really discussed or known. This period of time was also a key folklorist exchange moment between East and West, when Western editors were collecting Chinese stories for their books and anthologies. One of these was the earliest known variant of the Cinderella story, which comes from 850 CE, that was called Yanxin by the poet Duan Chanxi. You can see the full story on our website. And to learn more about the Linlan movement, stay tuned for our five fantastic finds. Our version of The Three Wishes comes from Folklores of China, which was collected by Professor Wolfram Eberhardt in 1937. This is the beauty of such a common stories like Cinderella. Nearly every culture in the world has come up with their own version of this rags-to-riches tale. Each one is similar, but they all have their own unique take. It speaks to how much the themes of the story resonate around the world and throughout the decades. I mean, just think of how many Cinderella adaptations there are. I think the problem with the Cinderella adaptations isn't that there's so many of them. It's just that they all follow the same exact Cinderella story. Yes. On this podcast itself, we've talked about Donkey Skin, which is one of the Cinderella stories. But there are just so many different variants where weird, wacky things happen, such as in this one. But we always, always, always go for the same kind of tropes and timeline and plot points. And we add little things like making it a musical, making it, you know, gender swapped, making it a bit different, giving a feminist take, giving, you know, I think that the focus on the Cinderella story is because it's universal. But when we look at all the different variants, there's so much variety there. And it kind of seems like a missed opportunity. It's kind of like the Batman where they keep doing the same origin story <laughs> over and over and over again. Oh, God. Or most superhero stories, actually. <laughs> Most superhero stories, but let's be real. Batman is essentially Hamlet and Cinderella at this point. We're just going to continue to get adaptations of this exact same thing. And we're all going to go see it. And then we're going to complain about how it's not original enough. But then movie makers are going to be like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll just take your money and we'll do the same thing next year and you complain about the same thing. And we agree to this for some reason. Well, I think superhero movies itself, I think Marvel did something where they realized, listen, we can't keep telling the same origin story. We can't keep just bringing out superheroes and doing similar kind of plot takes where, you know, they find out about their superpower. They do some super cool stuff. They have a moment of weakness and they get strong again. And so I think they've taken their superheroes and put them in kind of the extended universe with each other, with the plots. They've made it interesting. But I think with Batman and kind of with DC, they just keep bringing the same things up again and again and again. And that's why I really couldn't get into Wonder Woman is because it just felt like the first one was fine. But the second one, it felt just okay. And I think these retellings and kind of these adaptations, they just start to feel okay. 
Marvel's very unique with their origin films, except for the fact, you know, they always end up being a big fight fest <laughs> with someone who's just like them <laughs> and has the same power set as them, but the evil version of them, that never happens. I mean, they also do have really big CGI battles at the end. You're like, all right, here it is. Oh. <laughs> I would love one Marvel film where the CGI fest isn't how the story is capped off at. Well, I guess the big exception there is Doctor Strange, and that's why Doctor Strange is one of the best. It just ends with him bartering. Yeah. <laughs> and annoying the villain <laughs> into giving what he wants. He's like, I'm going to keep coming back and annoying you until you give me what I want. Heck yeah. But see, I think the reason why we like these retellings and why, you know, Disney and all these other companies are making so many live action versions of movies, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, it's just, it's comfort. People know what the plot's going to be before they get there. You can add little twists and turns and it's going to be a big thing because everyone knows what to expect. So I think it's safe. It's playing it very safe with an audience because you don't want to take risks. You don't want to be creative. Like, I would be super, super excited if the next I guess Beauty and the Beast slash Cinderella movie that came out was something like this, where it's just so wild, but you can't tell what an yeah. audience would react to. It It's true. In, and they weren't even ready to do Donkey Skin, which is still by the same author as Cinderella. So it's just that close. And they were like, no, nah, that's too, too far-fetched. So I don't think we can hold out a lot of hope, but oh, what I wouldn't give to see this made into like even a short film. <laughs> Chop to it, Fox. The horrid stepmother wants this tale told lickety-split. If we separate the facts from the fables, we may still yet be able to go to the theater. So gather around, travelers, as we tell the tale of Beauty and Pockface. There were once two stepsisters. One was known for her beauty, while the other had pockmarks all over her face. Since this is a fairy tale and people can be quite cruel, their nicknames were Beauty and Pockface, respectively. Beauty's mother had died when she was young, but fear not, she had turned into a yellow cow and was very close to her human child, Beauty. Her stepmother, however, was a whole other story. She was a cruel woman and treated Beauty and her cow mother badly. I'm, I'm torn about these names. On one hand, it's nice to see names being used for our main <laughs> protagonists. But these names are so terrible. I mean, I guess beauty is fine. It's just really on the nose. But Pockface? Her mother has, like, set her up for failure. Absolutely no question about it. I think her mother probably hates this nickname. And it's just, you know, everyone else who calls her this. Then why would you call her that? <laughs> well, I can't speak for all East Asian and South Asian cultures. But specifically from where I'm from. Calling kids or, you know, giving people nicknames based on physical attributes is quite common. And it can be quite cruel. It can be, you know, you call someone who's a bit overweight, you call them chubby or you call them something akin to that. And it's seen as like a cute, oh, harmless thing culturally. But it, it can be harmful. Like I doubt Pockface is going around being proud of the fact that she's named Pockface while her stepsister's named Beauty. And on the same hand, it must be quite hard for Beauty just to be known as Beauty because then... If it fades, if something happens to her, then what happens then? Do they still call her beauty but mockingly? So in a fairy tale, I think we'll pick our battles here. But fairy tale bingo going. We already have <laughs> weird nicknames and we have dead mother. This is true. Um, and I'm, I'm just glad that we don't have no name marked off because it can be a bit annoying to call people by girl and boy. It is quite annoying. But on the other hand, we don't get the chance to name them ourselves now. Ah, Thor daughter. Um. 
<laughs> Thor daughter was excellent. Um, she would kick these two in the butt, saying, "What the heck, guys?" She'd drop can. Well, she'd clean their shirts. I guess is what she would do. Yes, yeah, she would. <laughs> she cleaned her shirts. <laughs> yep, that's her superpower. Everybody. All the power of a washing machine. So one day, the stepmother took her daughter to the theater, but told Beauty she could only go if she separated all the hemp in her room. Before we get confused, hemp was one of the earliest crop plants in China. In the Record of Rites, or the Lai Chi, there is a description of hemp as the cloth of the masses. It was used as a textile, so they would use the base fiber of the plant to spin into yarn and weave clothes. I'm assuming that her task here was to separate the parts so that they could use it later on. Beauty tried to separate everything, but the task felt endless. She turned to her mother for help, and the yellow cow answered by eating all of it. When she spat it out, it was arranged into neat piles. Now this went against exactly what the stepmother wanted, so when she got home, she was annoyed to see the job was done. If you've been listening to us for a while, this particular story beat may sound familiar. Vasilisa, the oh-so-pretty, also needed to separate grains and could only accomplish this with a blessing from her mother. To hear how that all went down, check out the episode Vasilisa the Podcaster. The thing is, I don't think this task was crazy unreasonable given that people are, have been separating their hemp parts for ages to try and get the textiles and spin it. So I'm, I'm not quite sure if this, is a, this was an impossible task and more of a beauty didn't quite know how to do it or do it in time or something like that. Maybe it was just a really big pile. Yeah, probably. I know it would take me ages to do that. I would just get bored and fall asleep, probably. <laughs> well, the next day, Beauty asked to go to the theater. But the stepmother replied that she had to split the sesame seeds from the beans first. Again, she tried and tried before turning to her mother for help. Her mother called her a stupid girl and told her to use a fan. Using her mother's trick, she soon separated the seeds and waited for her stepmother to come home. Again, when her stepmother saw the task was done, she grew annoyed. How did her stepdaughter keep getting the task done? She asked Beauty directly, How can a servant girl be so clever? Who helped you? Beauty said it was her mother, the yellow cow. So Beauty, I think, does something that Vasilisa didn't do, and that's actually try and get the job done on her own first. Whereas I think with Vasilisa, we saw a lot of, Oh, little doll, come help me. And had I been that little doll, it would have turned into a scene from Annabelle very quick because I think it was a little bit of taking (laughs) advantage of the fact that the doll would help her with tasks. Yeah, it was a lot of Baba Yaga would tell her it and then Baba Yaga would turn her back and immediately Vasilisha fell to the ground crying like, oh, this is too hard. And the doll had to carry her (laughs) through the trials. Even before she went to Baba Yaga... When she was given chores to do, and some of them, you know, were unreasonable chores that were supposed to make her ugly, we saw that she was in the fields braiding her hairs, getting her nice glow on, where the doll was doing all of the, the chores. So it's kind of like, all right, Vasilisa, we get it. You have a magic doll, but a little bit of effort wouldn't kill anybody. Or if, you know, if she'd been using that time to do something else, although that might be a product of our crazy productivity driven culture. So I don't know. All I can say is that Beauty is showing effort before she goes to her mother for help, whereas Vasilisa didn't. Yeah, Vasilisa definitely was sitting at the side, but she was pretty, so that's all that matters, right? (laughs) Another thing I want to touch upon is that Beauty straight up has admitted that her mother's the one that's been helping her and that, you know, her mother was a yellow cow. 
which is very, very naive given that her stepmother started the conversation with, how can a servant girl be so clever? Yeah. Why would you give away your secret like that? Also, wouldn't you think like, hmm, maybe my stepmother doesn't have my best interests. Maybe I shouldn't tell her about my mother coming back as a cow. Cinderella has this kind of stereotype to her in many of these stories where she is naive and she's very kind and she believes in the kindness of others and the power of kindness. All of that kind of stuff where she gets taken advantage of. We see Beauty do this again later on, but she, I think she just is, she's too naive. She wants a family. She wants that kind of family support system too much. And it's get, it gets taken advantage of, quite frankly. Hmm. And at this point, you know, we can be a bit understanding because we haven't seen her stepmom or her stepsister treat her too horribly besides not letting her go to the theater. But later on, I think it becomes a bit more evident that Beauty needs to grow up a bit and recognize that just because they are her family doesn't mean she needs to trust them with everything, doesn't mean she owes them politeness. And so it'll hmm. be interesting to see how this keeps going and what we think of it later on. Also, shout out to the mom for calling her, her daughter out on being silly (laughs) well she calls her stupid but you don't see real mothers in these stories um having any negative traits whatsoever they're usually so idolized so i was really shocked to see the mother being like you stupid girl not only do we have a mother in this story but we have a maternal figure who's willing to step up and talk to their child to help them with things but also to call them out like you said but I don't think the mother is uh, going to be a long-lasting feature now that the stepmother has found out about her and her help. What? Don't you mean the stepmother wants to hang out with the mother who's a cow and just, like, go to the spa with her and be chill? Well, that night, the stepmother did something quite cruel to take care of this yellow cow. And the next day, she served the girls fresh beef for supper. Beauty knew at once that this could have only been her mother. And she could not bring herself to eat. So she took the bones and hid them in a pot. I mean, we have, we have to assume that she watched her stepmother and her stepsister eat her mother, which should harden her a little Ugh. bit, give us that, you know, villain origin story. No kidding. Instead, sad, lonely, and helpless without her mum, Beauty could no longer complete the impossible tasks and so could not go to the theater. One day, Beauty finally snapped. And she grew so angry, she began smashing everything she could touch. In her anger, she accidentally smashed the pot with her mother's bones in it. As the pot hit the ground, a mighty crack sounded, and a horse, dress, and shoes appeared out of nowhere. At first, Beauty was cautious. Could these items be her mother? But after investigating, she realized the items were not related to her, and therefore were safe to wear. So she did what anyone else in her situation would do, and threw on her clothes before riding away into the sunset on her new horse. How how did she determine that the the dress and the horse were just unrelated to the bones that they just popped out of? Like, does she have some sort of forensic science that she's using that we're not aware of? Did the horse just tell her that? Uh, Or is the horse... Re- the reincarnation of the mother at this point, because it did come from the bones of the mother. I have so many questions. <laughs> I think Beauty knows that this isn't her mom, just because she obviously had a way of communicating with her mother when her mother was a cow. So maybe mm. she approached the horse and went, Mom? And the horse just looked at her and neighed or something. But there there's probably is a way for her to realize, okay, this isn't my mom, but this is a gift from my mom. 
And bones themselves are such a massive part of many cultures because they're so closely related to death rituals and prophecies. In some East Asian cultures specifically, there are practices called bone collecting, where the family of the deceased returns to the grave after five years to collect the bones. Usually they get turned to ash and kept by the family, or they're placed somewhere kind of like a tombstone. There are also mentions of oracle bones in Chinese culture specifically, so stick around for the five fantastic finds to hear more. Riding off into the sunset wasn't quite as easy as Beauty thought it would be. Her shoe slipped off in a ditch as she was riding away. Now, if she got off the horse, then her dress and the remaining shoe would get dirty, but she couldn't leave it either. She didn't want to pull a Jason from Greek mythology and wander around with a single shoe. Oh no, nobody wants that. (laughs) She was debating her massive issue when a fishmonger came by. She asked if he would please help her get her shoe. And this random man says he would, but only if she married him. Beauty became very cross and asked, who would marry him? Fishmongers were stinky. The better question was, why would I marry you for getting my shoe? And then at that point, you get down and get the shoe yourself. Yeah, that's a very um, uneven trade, uh, (laughs) if I dare say so myself. Yeah. Unless this shoe has fallen into, like, I don't know, a dragon's lair? Nah. (laughs) Well, I think it's quite a big random ask to say to a stranger, you know, I'll help you, but in exchange for it, this is what I want. Although if we do think about it, that's essentially what happens with many fairy tales, is the prince finds something and brings it back to the princess, or he finds the princess, and that's kind of enough. For them to be together forever. Can you imagine if you just drop something, you ask a stranger to pick it up for you, though, and they're like, I'll do it if you marry me, and they're dead serious? Like, how would, like, that'd just be so random. Beauty also disagrees with this concept, so she's still debating her issue when a rice broker came by, and he offered her the same deal. Beauty made another face and asked who would marry him. Rice brokers were always covered with dust. And you wouldn't believe what happened next. An oil merchant also came by who had the same proposition. She sighed, getting a bit bored with this narrative, and asked who would marry him. Oil merchants were so greasy. Beauty seems to be a master of generalizations, and honestly, after her stepmother ate her mother, doesn't really seem to have any kind of empathy or kindness that characterizes the modern Cinderella archetype, which I am all here for. Random men asking you to marry them on the street is not the basis of a healthy long-term relationship. Maybe this is why Disney has not made an adaptation of the story. (laughs) They're too weirded out by these men who all apparently went to the same school of thought, being, if I do the most middle effort thing, I should therefore get to marry this person. I think they would like this next part because the fourth man who appeared was a handsome scholar, and he also went to this school of thought and offered her the same deal. This time, however... She had nothing bad to say, and so she agreed. He placed the slipper on her foot, and they were married. We have our happy ending. <laughs> it's, it feels like Tinder in a way. Just who's nearby? Nope. 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 Ooh, okay. He's available. He's a scholar. And he wants to get married right away. Perfect. And his photo is with a dog. Like, what more could you want? <laughs> This story is definitely called The Three Wishes, and I've been trying to figure out what the three wishes are. So my theory, or my working theory, is that her first wish was for her mother. And so her mother came back as a cow, and she had got to stay with her mother for a long time. Her mother helped her through those problems. 
And the last part of that wish was when her mother made it possible for her to go to the theater. So she made it possible for her to have a nice dress and a ride. So that's what I think the first wish is. The second wish, I think, is that Beauty probably wished that she had a family of her own because she's leaving her family. And maybe it was a wish for her mother to come back, for her father to appear from wherever pocket dimension he's in. But here, (laughs) she gets a chance to find someone to build her own family with, and that's the, the scholar. And so I will mention what I think the third wish is when it comes by, but I think that the story can be broken down into the parts of the three wishes depending on what Beauty is looking for after during at that time it is a cool way to look at this because otherwise this just feels like completely random events and we have no real rhyme or reason to understand why these good things are happening to her other than that the fact that maybe she's just beauty and maybe beauty just means good luck so it's a really nice kind of thought to keep in mind as we continue Yes, exactly. And one of the issues I think we fall into when we translate books or read translations of books is sometimes we read the title the translator gives it and we ignore the title or the original title of the story, which helps, gives us context, gives us some kind of understanding of what the story is based around. And so I think here, Mm -hmm. when we find this on various websites or various retellings, they always phrase it kind of as the Cinderella story or the Chinese Cinderella story. And they leave out the part that it was originally called Three Wishes. And, I mean, that's quite important because we have kind of that connection to the fairy godmother without a direct reference to a fairy godmother. So we don't know who's giving Beauty these wishes, if it's just wishful thinking, if it's just her praying to the universe and the universe responding, if she's manifesting her destiny, whatever it is that people say these days. (laughs) Um, But I think we lose a lot when we ignore original titles because they, like this, I'm framing my understanding of the story based on the title. And so I think when we reduce it down to just, oh, the Chinese Cinderella story, people might read this and think, okay, here is the the shoe moment where the scholar reaches down, picks up her shoe and puts it on her foot. And they think that's the big Cinderella story or the rags to riches part or the part with the evil stepmother and evil stepsister. Basically, I think the Disneyfication of a lot of stories means that people are looking at things in a very narrow lens. And so when we start thinking about mm-hmm. them in terms of sources or in the original parts of it, we can have a more complete understanding of something. I completely agree. C- keeping in mind the original text of what like they use for titles and just the main ideas of it is important to keep in mind and that we don't just relabel things with our understanding with something similar. Obviously, comparing stuff and saying this story is like Cinderella is quite helpful when you're just trying to give an elevator pitch for it. But it sometimes does a disservice because then you don't take time to see all the ways it's so different and it's um, you're just always looking for what's similar. So continuing the premise of this being her second wish, a few days later, the married couple goes to Beauty's house to pay their respects to her mysteriously traveling father and her suddenly gracious stepmother. When it was time to leave, the stepmother and stepsister implored Beauty to stay. And Beauty, believing their kind intentions, and I suppose trusting the protection of her husband and her status as a married woman, and, you know, despite the fact that they ate her mother, agreed to stay. Oh, nothing could go wrong with this plan. Yeah, I don't want to be a clickbait title, but what happens next will shock no one and everyone. The next morning, Pockface invited her sister, Beauty, to come and see the reflections in the well. She wanted to see which one of them was more beautiful. 
<laughs> As Beauty is leaning over the well, her stepsister pushes her in and covers the top. Beauty loses consciousness and drowns. Um, so we have just murder. She fell for that. And the fact that she thinks these people are redeemable, these people can change, that there's no, nothing to worry about, is a bit shocking because you would think that if you were to escape from this kind of family, you would stay with your husband or ask your husband to stay with you. You wouldn't trust them. But a lot of it does go to the fact that if Beauty's second wish was for family, then maybe she thought that they had turned a corner, that something had changed, that there was a different dynamic going on because she had married someone. She was no longer, you know, a, per- a servant girl or whatever the mother called her. And it's really hard, but sometimes it's very hard to let go of the family you have in your mind. And for Beauty, it could very well be that she's built up this image of going to the theater with her stepmother and stepsister and that, you know, they made a mistake and she's willing to forgive it because they are family. So there's 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 different parts here. <laughs> I am all for second chances and seeing the best in people, but there also has to be some like <laughs> there has to be some protection for yourself or just reasonable thought going through your head. Yes, you want the absolute best. You want the sister relationship, but also remember she ate your mother <laughs> and she had no problem with that. Like, sure, try and do stuff with her, but be cautious. Be alert to maybe an obvious lie like, hi, beauty. Me, Pockface, wants to know who's more beautiful. Let's go way over here to a well and try and figure that out. Not the mirror that's just in our home. We're going to just go out here into the woods. You got a problem with that? Like, that should be putting up a couple red flags in your mind. Also, how is that a fun game? (laughs) The reason why people do not like Cinderella a lot of the time is because her story seems very simple. It seems like she gets abused and mistreated over and over and over again and believes in the goodness. We have to remember that in the original Cinderella story, at least in one of the original ones, she has her stepsister and her stepmother put into barrels full of nails and rolled down a hill. So we have to remember these stories have been sanitized as they get told to children. Because we have to remember at some point these stories were told to adults or they were told to children with a different kind of understanding of it that goodness gets rewarded in the end and cruelty gets punished and the punishments were quite severe. So it was to tell children and warn children that there are consequences to acting like this. It's not just, you know, a slap in the wrist, some forgiveness. Whereas I think the narrative now is very much towards forgiving each other and letting bygones be bygones. And that's a little bit of a dangerous narrative to teach children, specifically the narrative of be the bigger person, because sometimes it's not about being the bigger person. It's about staying alive. (laughs) It's a very fine line, because I still agree with the being a bigger person, but I feel like you can't be a the bigger person to an absolute fault like you need to you can still be a bigger person but also know when to walk away from the situation or not just walk away but like um defend yourself be reasonable with (laughs) those expectations yes and a good point when you go ah okay i'm being taken advantage of or you know what this isn't a relationship i want is when people eat your actual mother okay she might have been a cow yes in the actual literal sense but If someone eats your mom, it's time to say goodbye to that relationship. Yes, it's time to unfriend them, block them on all (laughs) social media, 
and ignore all DMs. Honestly, maybe okay? a restraining order would wouldn't be too far off as yes! well. Yes. <laughs> I think just count it for what it is a relationship that's not happening and just um time to look for some new friends or some new maternal figures in your life. You know, it doesn't have to be the person your dad chose because where the heck is he? He's not <laughs> adding to this at all. What does he know? He's in another dimension probably. I bet he's left again because there's no way that, you know, one morning your daughter's home and the next day she's not home and you're like, oh, where'd Beauty go? Oh, she just went back to her husband. Oh, okay. And then that's it. Like, there's no follow-up. There's no questioning. However, the scholar, not being the same as Puck Dimension Father, obviously misses his wife and wants to know where she is. And after a few days, he begins asking about her. So he sends a bunch of letters to Beauty, to the stepmother, trying to figure out when she's coming home. The stepmother writes back and says that Beauty has fallen ill with smallpox, but as soon as she gets better, they'll send her right home. Throughout this time apart, over the next two months, the scholar sends gifts for Beauty, he asks about her and he writes letters to her, and the stepmother and Pockface just keep quiet and pretend everything's alright. After those two months, the stepmother schemes to send Pockface home to the scholar. The scholar is a bit of an intelligent man, and he sees that the woman in front of him isn't his wife, so he expresses his outrage and asks where Beauty is. Pockface was quite cunning, so she started crying and said that her face was disfigured by smallpox, and she will die if he disowns her as his wife. The poor, confused scholar accepted her and apologized for his harsh words, not wanting her to keep crying. She is such a high deception, it's not even fair. <laughs> I, I want to say I feel sorry for this scholar guy, but his relationship you with beauty was pretty shallow up till now he found her at the side of the road married her the exact same day in exchange for picking up a shoe so what they spend maybe three to four days together before they went back to the house um also i would imagine if the scholar went to the house with beauty he would have seen Pockface and maybe been able to go hmm you look exactly like the sister of my wife <laughs> Why is that? I think she's just confused him with her womanly tears. And he's like, okay, stop crying, stop crying. I'll give you what you want. Okay, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Because that's kind of like the stereotype, isn't it? That like men don't know what to do when women panic and show emotions and get emotional. But I think the scholar here is, he's either smart and he's playing this off to try and figure out, okay, this is Pockface pretending to be my wife. And if I turn her away, I won't actually know. But I think it's more likely that he became very confused. He might have forgotten what Pockface looked like. He might have made the connection in his mind that, okay, so Beauty had a sister named Pockface, and she looks a certain way. And so you know what? If Beauty had chicken pox or smallpox, and now she has a Pockface, maybe this is what she also looks like because they're sisters. It's very hard to believe that he just took Pockface at her word, that she was his wife. I'm glad the text at least says that he questions this whole thing. Yeah. Like, if he had just accepted this straight up, I would have been like, beauty, find someone else. Yeah, I'm like, if you, wherever you are, wherever your spirit is, stay away. This man is, should have picked one of the other three men. But at least he is questioning this and is not happy with this. But So I guess we'll cheer for him 
It's better than cheering for Pockface, I suppose. So we'll go with that. <laughs> well, if you thought this story was already weird, buckle in because it's about to get weirder. You see, as the daughter of a mystical yellow cow, Beauty also possessed the power of animal transfiguration. And she returned to the world as a sparrow. Excellent choice. <laughs> Chinese mythology itself has quite a complex and diverse relationship with the afterlife. And it can be traced through the different periods based on writing about the soul and spirit. Post-Buddhism, however, the afterworld changes drastically to include reincarnation. However, in most cases, the purpose of reincarnation is to wipe clean the negative memories of the previous life by drinking the goddess Mingpo's soup. I will explore this concept a bit deeper during the five fantastic finds and on our website, so be sure to check those out as well. Having returned as a sparrow, Beauty would spend her days sitting next to Pockface and singing, Comb once peep, comb twice peep, comb thrice up the spine of Pockface. Pockface would repeat the song, and the poor scholar's confusion would grow and grow every time he happened to overhear this exchange. One day, he waited till Pockface was gone, and he found the sparrow sitting on the window ledge. He asked if the sparrow was actually his wife, and if she was, she needed to chirp three times. What was his grand plan once he found out his wife was a bird? Well, he told her he would put her in a golden cage and keep her as a pet. Pockface was very obviously upset when she returned and saw that the bird that had been mocking her was now sitting in a golden cage in her husband's room. And since she had no problem killing Beauty as a person, she had absolutely no issues killing the trapped sparrow and tossing it out the window. Why do people keep hurting sparrows? What have we ever done to you? First we had the, the Japanese tale where that lady cut the tongue out of the sparrow and now and now Pockface is just straight up murdering a sparrow like we don't appreciate this. <laughs> like, save the sparrows, people. <laughs> well, don't worry, because a sparrow doesn't stay a sparrow for long. Where the sparrow's body fell, it turned into bamboo shoots, which grew wildly. Not checking to see if there was a little bamboo girl in the shoots, Pockface just cut some of them up and cooked them for dinner. However, when she started eating, the shoots gave her terrible mouth ulcers. She checked with her husband, who said, this is delicious, and had no issues whatsoever. Growing suspicious, she went to the bamboo tree and cut it all down, and had it turned into a bed. Once again thinking she had outsmarted her sister, she lay down, but it felt as if a hundred needles were pricking her skin. She jumped up and checked with her husband, who again said, oh, this is the best bed I've ever laid in. At once, she knew she had to do something, and she threw the bed out. Why did she not just burn the bamboo or dump it in the sea like a normal villain would? This seems kind of unnecessary to, like, transform it into something you would use every day. Listen, I think it's about, one, we don't like waste. You know, this is a, this is a household that reuses things as much as they can. But also, I think it's her way of making sure she knows where Beauty is. She knows that, you know, if Beauty is a bamboo tree, well, she's going to make a bed out of it and lie in it every day. It's about getting that little bit of insignificant revenge or one-up or showing yourself and telling yourself that I got him, I've won, every day I sleep on the corpse of my sister. We have to remember, this is someone who ate Beauty's mother. It's not going to go out of hand. <laughs> I, but why not make it something more satisfying like turn her into a 
trash can or <laughs> a mat that you walk all over or something? Why something you sleep on where you're supposed to be comfortable? I don't know. I mean, it could have been something that she's like, oh, I'm sleeping on the bed made out of beauty with beauty's husband, something like that. It's sometimes pettiness has no logical thought and you just do the first thing that comes to your mind. So maybe she saw the bamboo and was like, right, I need to make something out of this. I'm just going to make a bed. Let's go. All right. Well, missed opportunity, I suppose. <laughs> this is really on pock face, though, for for what comes This next. is on pock face. I would have 100% burned the bamboo tree down. I wouldn't have tried to eat it. I would have, you know, just straight up burned it down. This is where I think Beauty's third wish comes into play. I don't think necessarily her wish was to come back and get revenge on Pockface, but I think her wish could have been to come back and get her husband back and become a person again. So take the life that Pockface has stolen from her right back. We're bringing life back. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows how to act. Yeah. So what I think is happening is that Beauty is just trying to make Pockface aware that she's there. She keeps coming back in ways to hurt Pockface, but not intentionally. Had Pockface left the bamboo tree alone, we don't know if anything would have happened. So it's Pockface's own suspicions and Lady Macbeth kind of paranoia that's causing her to be hurt by beauty. On the same hand, I think coming back and reincarnating and you know being a spirit or a ghost of sorts that hasn't found peace Specifically in Japanese yokai, we see lots of different monsters being made out of the spirits of the undead who had something that happened to them during their life. And there's lots of different monsters that come from different circumstances, such as those of scorned women, those of mothers, those of men who had died for specific reasons, those who wanted revenge. And so it's not unlikely that, you know, Beauty as a spirit realized she needed her revenge or she needed to come back and get her closure. And she refused to drink Ming Po's soup. And she came back and started to reincarnate herself over and over to get back to her goal of getting her body. Now, Pockface, I think, could have done more to prevent Beauty from actually getting back to her body. Instead of setting fire to the bed or something equally as destructive to make sure her reincarnating sister slash bed slash soup didn't come back, she simply had the bed thrown on the side of the road. And since we are all very useful here, an old lady found it. You see, next to the scholar, there lived an old lady who sold money bags. When she saw the bed, she thought that as no one had died in that house, it was safe to take this perfectly good-looking bed home with her. So the way you would know that someone has died is that there would be lots of outward or outward-facing rituals that indicate to others the great loss. One of which is that a white cloth gets hung across the doorway and a gong placed outside the entrance. It would have been considered quite bad luck if she had taken the bed of a dead person. But at this point, it was just a really, really nice bed that happened to belong to nobody. The next day, the old woman woke up and her breakfast was already made. She felt a little bit nervous, but hey, free breakfast, so she ate her food and left. The next few days, the same thing kept happening, and the old woman grew more and more anxious. Finally, she decided to come home early. And when she did, she caught a dark shadow washing rice. She was terrified but brave. So she confronted the helpful shadow and asked what it wanted from her. She was astonished when the shadow told her its story. The shadow said it was the spirit of the wife of the scholar next door. 
She had been murdered by her sister, who was now assuming her identity. The shadow asked for a rice pot as a head, a stick as a hand, a dishcloth as entrails, and a fire hook as feet. The old woman obliged and hurried to get all the bits and bobs together for her. And as soon as she did, a beautiful girl appeared. The girl begged the old woman to go and pretend to sell a bag to the scholar next door. And the old woman agreed. Quick question. Yeah. So the old lady took the mattress, brought it mm -hmm. to her home, and then suddenly Beauty's spirit kind of manifested to do, like, all these chores for the old lady. And the old lady returned the kindness by, like, giving her these items that allowed her to, like, come back mm -hmm. as, like, a human form, correct? Yep. What happened to the mattress? Is the mattress <laughs> still existing? Or did, like, that just kind of disappear in this whole process, too? Because I feel like there's some questions. <laughs> like, what happens to her previous body that Beauty had? Well, I mean, Does it we still saw exist? Well, it could. Okay, so it could be something like that where, you know, the mattress disappears and the old one just assumes it was cursed or something. But it could also have been that her spirit just left the, the bamboo. Because spirits are very okay. separate. I mean, they're. Depending on what culture, what religion, there's lots of different theories on spirits and souls. Some people argue they're two different things. Some people argue one is physical and one is connected to your physical body and one is connected to your, I guess, eternal body. So if, you know, one of them was connected to the items that she was turning into or the things she was turning into, then it's possible that she could leave it. It's a mystery, but... Interesting. Just, just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> Uh, these are the things that plague my mind of, well, what happened to that item? Is it still there? Does it still exist? Has you want it continuity. Into something? I need to know. I need to understand. Well, the scholar also has lots of questions because when the old woman goes next door and presents him with Beauty's old bag, he immediately knew that something was wrong, but was overjoyed to hear that not only was Beauty alive, but she was also next door at this old woman's house. He went at once to get her, and he brought her back home to the dismay of Pockface. Pockface immediately accused her sister of being a spirit and not a real woman. She randomly decided they needed to do a trial to see which was the false bride and which was the true one. Beauty agreed, safe in the knowledge that she was a literal, actual spirit at some point, but she was also the true bride. And also, you know, she had just been murdered four times, so I think she can take a little bit of a trial. Pockface needs to learn that if you kill something straight up twice and it still comes back, you need to let this one go and just move on. You're yes. not going to kill it. <laughs> like, that is a lot of times to kill one person and for them to keep coming back. Like, at that point, just give up. Be like, yep, moving on. <laughs> uh, instead of moving on, Pockface actually got to decide what the trials would be. You would think that she would pick something that she was able to do something that gave her an advantage. Well, the first task was to walk across eggs and see who broke them. Given that she just accused Beauty of being a spirit, wouldn't that be easier for the spirit to do than for the actual physical human? <laughs> look, look, Pockface has a <laughs> high deception, very low intelligence. I think we've established <laughs> that. Continue. Well, her second task was to walk up a ladder made of knives, and the third was to jump into a cauldron of hot fire. All of which, you know, had Beauty really been a spirit, would have not been a problem for Beauty, but would have been a massive problem for Pockface. 
And true to form, Pockface did fail the first two, but she kept persisting in the hope that Beauty would surely die after the next one. With the third test came around, she told Beauty to go first, and in her mind, there was absolutely no way Beauty would survive after having jumped into a cauldron of hot oil, which means Pockface wouldn't have had to go next. But to her great dismay, Beauty succeeded, and Pockface still attempted to jump in, but she never resurfaced. Why would Pockface still jump in? At this point, it's a best two out of three scenario, right? Like, Beauty has been unscathed up till now, and since uh, the scholar is just looking for any reason not to be with Pockface, and even though these trials have proved that Beauty must be a spirit because she's getting through these unscathed, why go through with this last one? It could have also just been one of those, like, Rumpelstiltskin type of the acts of great anger where you're so angry you do something unrealistically foolish that ends up hurting yourself and nobody else. But it could have been one of those where she's like, oh my god, I can't believe you've done this again, and she jumps in and, not really thinking, just dies. <laughs> okay, dear travelers, we implore you, if you're ever so angry that you're going to do something stupid, don't jump into a pot of boiling oil. That will not end well for you, okay? Try and keep that in mind. <laughs> it's not going to end well. So up until this point, Beauty hasn't really done anything to Pockface. It's almost always been Pockface's own anger and hatred that's caused things to happen to her. And even with her death, nobody pushed her in, no one forced her to go in. It was all her idea. So either an act of revenge or an act of closure, Beauty placed her sister's bones in a box and sent them to her stepmother. When she received the box, her stepmother thought the servant said carp flesh instead of daughter's flesh and was quite excited to dig in. However, we won't be seeing any accidental daughter eating here like we saw the mother eating because as soon as the mother opened the box, she knew that she was holding human bones, not carp at all. She let out a horrified scream and dropped dead right where she stood. And... I'm going to guess somewhere in another room or dimension, the father's going, what was that, dear? <laughs> <laughs> For all the help he's been in this story. See, I think a lot of people argue that the dad's getting a happy ending at the end makes it really nice because you have a good father-daughter moment. But at this point in some of these stories, I'm like, if the father ever resurfaced, it's time to let that relationship go. Because yes. not doing anything to stop your daughter's abuse and mistreatment makes you just as bad, absent father. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that he doesn't come back because I think Beauty's better off without him. I think he, he had better be trapped in another dimension by fighting a villain that was to save the world and he has just no idea what's going on. That'd be, like, the only justification at that point. Well, even then, that's still a good, like, villain story for Beauty to start off with or even a superhero backstory where she's like, I don't know my father. She's gonna be super one way or the other. Like, we've seen her... <laughs> climb up a ladder of knives and come out unscathed and go into a pot of boiling oil. Honestly, she should just start her own superhero career. I will never not be confused by the randomness and the intensity of some of these trials. They were just random, they were violent, and they were just quite, honestly, very silly for Pockway to try and do. And they all proved that she had to be a spirit. But it also proved that the scholar didn't care. He was just like, I cannot be with Pockface. <laughs> I'll go with the spirit. <laughs> There's also a part of me that wonders if Beauty actually continues to stick around. I'm not sure if 
her getting this happy moment would kind of satisfy her spirit and she'd just move on or if she would actually stick around to live her life. It doesn't have any impact on how the story goes out, but in my mind, I don't know how spirit rules work. (laughs) Not as familiar with those. Like Pockface and Beauty, there are those who say we are the false podcasters. In order to prove that we are true podcasters, we must prove ourselves to the trials of the five fantastic finds. Sadly, there will be absolutely no cauldron jumping or knife ladder walking. Number one. As with most renditions of the Cinderella story, the father in today's tale is completely useless. He is mentioned at the start of the story to introduce the wicked stepmother, and he is then promptly forgotten. We can assume he is still around, seeing as he is never mentioned again, but we cannot be sure. For all we know, he straight up died and is reincarnated as a blade of grass outside of Beauty's room, just waiting for her to notice. But alas, this type of absentee parent trope is referred to as the invisible parent. This is a common trope for a kid-centered story where the parents have little to no relevance to the plot. They are mentioned, rarely seen, and are often incredibly useless. Think of Mabel and Dipper's parents from Gravity Falls, or Hermione's parents from the Harry Potter series, or, I don't know, most of the parents from the students of Assassination Classroom. In the Animal Crossing game series, your character regularly receives letters from their mother, but that is the only evidence that she exists. No one else speaks of her, and you are unable to write back to her. And you have to feel guilty about that every birthday when she sends you a gift. (laughs) These parents are not necessarily bad parents, but it often breaks the whole flow of the story if these parents were more involved in their children's lives. Number two. A massive Chinese cultural movement took place in the 1920s and the 1930s with a surge of interest in folklore, fairy tales, and legends. According to several articles and books by folklore professor Yu Wenzhan, the phenomena of Lin Lan and Lady Lin Lan began with a single writer, Li Xiaofen, on July 12, 1924, but quickly expanded to include many writers collecting oral folklore directly from the source, following in the footsteps of the Brothers Grimm. Like the Grimm collection, these stories were used to create a national identity of the people, but unlike the Grimm's, Lin Lan did not edit in a specific religious background or focus solely on older tales. A lot of the Lin Lan tales were retold from the historical record and many were contemporary stories told by many people throughout the time. Throughout Chinese history, there is a rich record of story collections that contain fables and folklore and the Lin Lan movement helped continue the tradition. Zhang's collection, The Dragon Daughter and Other Lin Lan Fairy Tales, examines over 40 different tales. And as mentioned earlier, our version of the story comes from Professor Eberhard. However, there is renewed criticism for his collection that largely contains stories from the Lin Lan series. The issues arise from the credit given to Professor Eberhard for collecting the works instead of simply translating them. There is also little to no reference to Lin Lan as a modern source, despite being one of the leading movements of the time. The movement helps cement fairy tales and folk tales in the collective folk consciousness of China, and we hope to see more research done about them to give them a place as the Chinese Brothers Grimm. Number three. Initially, Pockface and the Wicked Stepmother kill Beauty out of spite and jealousy. However, they then think of an ingenious plan of convincing Beauty's husband that Pockface is actually Beauty. Glaring plot holes aside, this is the dead person impersonation trope, and it is exactly as it sounds. But this trope is not always malicious. In fact, it's pretty common to see this trope be played as a big misunderstanding, and the imposter gets in way too deep and can't admit they are lying without serious consequences. A good example of this trope 
in action can be seen in Heath Ledger's character William from A Knight's Tale. He is a poor peasant who finds a dead knight who is about to enter the final round of a jousting tournament. Figuring he can make a quick, easy payday, he takes the knight's place in the tournament and wins a big cash prize. The rest of the movie builds on him having to maintain that lie so he can keep the money and the new title. Number four. Chinese religious beliefs are heavily influenced by local customs, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, and cultural beliefs. The relationship between the living and dead is quite complex, with the mutual responsibility upheld between both parties. The living have to honor the dead through continuous rites, festivals, offerings, and prayers. In turn, the dead would rest peacefully and watch over their ancestors. Failing to honor the dead would cause wrathful retaliation from the spirit, some of whom would become hungry ghosts that went on to attack entire communities. Now, Chinese mythology or folk religion differs in the sense that there is an underground world with a bureaucratic system of punishment, sometimes called Dayu. After a soul has received their punishment, they are sent to Mengpo in the 10th court for reincarnation. They find her on the bridge of forgetfulness, and she gives them soup to make them forget their past lives before they are reborn. In the case of Beauty and her mother, they don't reincarnate in the classic sense, but instead it seems that they inhabit the bodies of the creatures and plants they come in contact with after death. Number 5. Walking on eggs or walking on eggshells are common phrases used to mean tread lightly. And the symbolism is quite clear, as eggs have a very thin shell and seem quite delicate. And to walk on them without breaking seems to be quite a feat. But is it really? Honestly, it's not as impressive as one would think. While eggs easily crack under uneven forces, just say the edge of your mixing bowl, they are sturdier in other regards. The three-dimensional arc shape of the egg is architecturally very sturdy and is excellent for evenly distributing pressure across the whole egg. So as long as Beauty or Pockface were not wearing keels and were both being cautious of how they stepped on the eggs, this challenge would be very doable. Now that we have proven ourselves to be true podcasters, we must return to the Enchanted Forest to bring back new tales. Join us next time as we share a wondrous tale all the way from the Ukraine. As always, if you want to see the show summary, notes, and the five fantastic finds, please check them out on our website, talesfromtheenchantedforest.com. If you want to hear more from us, join us on Twitter at FromEnchanted or Instagram at Tales from the Enchanted Forest. Or if you're old school like Sparrow, you can email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions. So if, if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard here today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. We'll give you a big shout out and our eternal gratitude. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Mm-hmm.